we're in the series, No Offense. Uh, so I want to kind of start by asking a question that I don't think anyone is going to own up to, but everyone should. And here it is. Who thinks they're smarter? Raise your hand or put in the chat. This is me. Be honest. It's got to own it. This is church. You lie. We're going to track you down, beat you up. Um, now, who here would say, I think I'm smarter than the average person? Okay, a few honest people. Thank God. You all are straight to heaven. Those who didn't raise their hand, well... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. No. Uh, the reality is most of us think we're smarter than the average person. We don't admit it. We don't say it. We, we, we kind of know it's not the right thing to say, but we really do. Like, how many of you think you're a better driver than the average driver? Yeah. How many of you? Here's one. How many of you think you're less sinful than the average person? Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, that's like, God, forgive me. Forgive me for what I did, but thank God I didn't do what the other, those other people did. Uh, how, most of us think we're, we're more right about what we believe than other people. If you don't believe me, just go on the internet, go to any website that has a, 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 a chat section, a comment section, and read your comments, and you can see just how right everybody thinks they are. I mean, they are, they are right, and the other person's wrong, and they'll get back and forth about how right they are and how wrong the other person is. I mean, you can see it. You can see it everywhere. Most of us believe that we're smarter, we're writer, we know better than everyone else. And if we're honest, we would say this world would simply be a better place if everyone would do it my way. I know you don't say that, but we all think it. I mean, at least I do. Um, no, we, we, we believe that. We, we think we're right about everything. Right? We think we're right about what we believe about vaccines. Regardless of what you believe about vaccines, what you believe about vaccines, you believe you're right. What you believe about who you should vote for, you believe you're right. What you believe about gun control and gun rights, you believe you're right. You believe you're right about how you should parent, how you should handle finances. Well, you name it, we believe we're right about everything. And by extension, if you're right about everything, you know what that means? You know what we get offended by? You know how offense creeps in? It's because they're just wrong. They're just wrong. They're, I mean, I'm right. And if you don't agree with me, well, then they're just wrong. All they and they is whoever doesn't agree with me. They're just wrong. And we get offended by that. But as we learned on last week, what did Pastor Andy tell us? He said, it's those people that offend us. But then, what did we learn? Those people equals you and me. Well, the same holds true for this. If they're just wrong, what we have to remember is this. They includes you and me. You and I can be just as wrong as anyone else. And if we can't accept that, if we don't grab hold of that, we end up carrying an offense because they're wrong and they don't do it my way and they don't see it the right way and their actions and behaviors and on and on and on are just wrong and we live offended. So Jesus lived in a time and a culture where he was surrounded by people, much like our day and age, surrounded by people who were convinced they were right about everything. They were right about the decisions they made. They were right about the right way to live, the right things to eat, the right way to interact, the right way to behave. They thought they were better, smarter, and holier than everyone around them. He was surrounded by people like that. And into that, Jesus speaks the following um, parable. We find it in Luke chapter 18. So Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, in their rightness, they were right, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were correct, that they were holy. 
and treated others with contempt because of their wrongness, because they didn't have it right, because they didn't do it the right way. So Jesus is speaking into that. And he tells this story. It's, it's a parable, but everyone understood this because he uses very common um, uh, people, characters that everyone would be familiar with. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, other losers, other jerks. I'm not like those who are just terrible and wrong and don't understand. God, thank you that I'm better, smarter, holier than everyone else. The extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, even like like the tax collector over there. This is what he's praying to God. He's praying this to God. And you say, I I would never pray like that. But we do kind of, don't we? God, forgive me. God, forgive me that I lost my temper and and I yelled at my kids. But thank you, God, that I'm I'm not an abuser. God, forgive me that that, that I, I wrestled with lust and I looked at pornography. But thank you that I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like as bad as some of the other people out there. I fast, and he starts to list all the great things he does. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. He hit his cheeks, and he says, God, be merciful, be merciful, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, he went to his house justified, but not the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisees, if you're not familiar, the Pharisees were these these teachers of the law. I mean, they played the part, they dressed the part, they knew what was right, and they pointed out what was right, and they lived what was right. And what's interesting is the religious people at the time, I mean, they were a subset of society, but they kind of said, this is how you live right. And then, then there was other subsets within that, and they, they actually fought with each other on who was more right. But the Pharisees said, we, we've got it. We've got it figured out. Meanwhile, tax collectors were hated. They were hated by their own fellow citizens. See, what Rome would do, Rome would come into a, a nation, a city, a region, and they would occupy it. I mean, they were the military force in that region of the world in that time in history, and, and nobody could really stand up to the Romans. So when they came in and they defeated an area, they would, they would be an occupying force. And so the, the people of Israel felt like Rome was just was standing with their boot on their neck, and they, they're controlling us. But Rome didn't want everyone to hate them, because if everyone hated them and they were united, they would fight, they could potentially rise up, uh, join together, and, and have a rebellion. So what Rome would do, they would go to citizens in that region and say, come work for us. So they'd find tax collectors. And they'd say, you work for us, and you need to collect our taxes. And then you give them to us. Uh, But they had this unwritten rule. And they said, you can take as much, reasonably as much as you want beyond what's required. And keep that for yourself. So it might look something like this. Like, say the tax rate was 20%. The tax collector would say, you owe Rome 35%. Or 40%. It usually wasn't more than, than that. If they collected 40%, they would pocket 20%, give the other 20% to Rome. 
So what happened? People hated each other because if the person said, I'm not doing that, I only owe 20%, the tax collector could go to the, to the Roman uh, officials and, and summon the army and, and the army would say, hey, you're not paying your tax bill, but I only owe 20%. Well, what did the tax collector say? He said 40%. Well, you got to pay 40% or we're going to take your head off. You had no choice. Sounds like the IRS. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, not really. Um, so... <laughs> So, so, that, so there was animosity between the regular people and the tax collectors. They were looked at as sinners, extortioners. They took advantage of those people, of the people. And so Jesus speaks to that. And he says, listen, it's easy to think one is right and one is wrong. The Pharisee is right. He does everything right. He dresses right. He thinks right. He makes right decisions. He keeps the law right. And it's easy to think that the tax collector is wrong. He steals. He defrauds. He takes advantage of. But in Jesus' economy, it's more than just right and wrong. It's pride and humility. Jesus says, yes, there is right and wrong. And I'm not pushing that aside. But if you're right with pride in your heart, you're wrong. But if you're wrong and you humble yourself, I can make you right, justified, righteous. See, Jesus is more concerned about, or not more concerned, he's as concerned, is probably a better way to put it, with pride and humility as right and wrong. Why? Because God knows this, Jesus knows this, proud people don't love well. Proud people judge well. Proud people can point out everything you're doing wrong well. Proud people can tell you all the good things that they're doing really well. Proud people can tell you how you should have done it better. And they can do that really well, but proud people really have a hard time loving well. And Jesus says it's so important that we love right. Because if we don't, all of a sudden we miss the greater reality of what God wants for our lives. See, we end up living offended, we're angry, we're upset because we believe that our call is to be arbiters of right and wrong. And I will tell everyone what is right and wrong. But God says, I don't want you to just walk around pointing out what everyone's done wrong. I want you to live a life that points people to me. And it's hard to do that when you're full of pride. See, what we have to learn is this. We are called to be holy and humble, not consecrated and conceited. You like that one? Why do you got really uncomfortable? <laughs> We're called to be holy and humble, not consecrated and conceited. But so many of us think that now that I'm justified, now that I'm sanctified, now that I'm righteous, I should be offended by everything around me because they're just wrong. They don't get it. They don't see it right. They don't behave right. And we're offended by what they post and what they say and how they behave and how they live. And we, and we, and we live this, this way that, that isn't what God wants for us. God wants us to live a life of humility and grace that intersects with people at their point of need and says, let me help you. Yes, there's, there's some things wrong here, but let, let me humbly get down on my knees and serve you. 
But that's hard to do when you're walking around going, I got it all figured out. See, what happens is it's easy, just like the Pharisee, to slide into spiritual pride. I'm right and you're wrong. And let me tell you just how wrong you are. You're wrong in your parenting. You're wrong in who you voted for. You're wrong in how you handle that situation. And if we're not careful and we start carrying an offense for what people did wrong, if we're offended by their wrongness, I have seen this. I've seen it in in people that I know and love and care about. We go from being offended by what they did to hating who they are. And that is something a follower of Jesus is never, ever, ever called to do. Yes, we understand the truth of who God is. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Jesus came and and, and he lived a perfect life and died a horrible death and was raised three days later. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we understand that. And so therefore, what a lot of people think is, then it's my job to stand for truth. I'm just standing for truth. Yes, we are called to stand for truth, but we're never called to be offended by people's wrongness. We're never called to be offended by their brokenness. We're never called to be offended by the things that they can't quite figure out what they're struggling with and they're hurting and they're hurting each other and they're hurting themselves. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to be right. But here's what I've learned. Being right is more than standing for truth. It's about walking in humility. Being right isn't just about I'm standing for truth. We can stand in truth and be wrong, wrong, wrong in so many ways. So what happens is we make ourselves experts on everything, just like the Pharisees, because we're going to be right, and I'm going to prove I'm right. So what do we do? We say, I'm an expert. I've read a book, and the person who wrote the book had a lot of letters after their name. I'm an expert because I have a degree, and I have letters after my name, and I'm an expert because I'm a pastor and I've been a pastor for all these years and I'm an expert because I'm a Christian and I've been a Christian for 40 years and I'm an expert because I watched a YouTube video and I'm an expert because I wrote a blog and people read the blog and I'm an expert because I I made a viral TikTok video and, and so now people think I'm an expert and I'm an expert because people come and ask me my opinion and so if they're asking me my opinion, I have to share my opinion. I mean, they're asking for some reason I'm going to tell you one of the reasons they're asking you, and you're not going to like this, but I'm telling you one of the reasons they're asking you is because they know you're a parrot. You're going to tell them what they want to hear. Oh, I'm offended. Okay, be offended. Um, what, hap- <laughs> what happens is we have a position. People know what our position is. They say, what did you think about that? Well, I'll tell you what I thought about that. They know what you thought. That's why they asked you. You didn't really want to grow and learn. They wanted to be offended just the way they knew you're offended. I didn't like that. I didn't agree with it. See, I knew I was right. And we carry around these offenses. Listen, there are people who who say, I'm right on theology. That church down the street is just too shallow. They're not right. They don't read the right translation of the Bible. They're just, they sing praise choruses. They sing hymns. They use instruments. They clap their hands. They have lights. I mean, on and on it goes. And, and we can be right about everything and be wrong about so much because we fool ourselves and think we're right. 
We make ourselves experts of the law, just like the Pharisees. We make ourselves experts about everything, but we're wrong. Jesus said this person isn't even justified when they go back to their house because they're so wrong. See, because we fool ourselves. Jeremiah says this. It says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? We can fool ourselves that we're right because we're carrying around an offense because of everyone's wrongness. And we won't even admit that maybe, 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 some way, or shape, some way, shape, or form, the person who's wrong isn't them, it's me. That they is you and me. See, if you live offended, even if you're right, you're wrong. You could be right, but not loving, and you're wrong. You could be right and not kind, and you're wrong. You can be right and be a jerk, and you're wrong. Because if you're not kind, if you're not loving, if you're not gracious, if you're not tender, if you're not merciful, if you're not forgiving, then you're not advancing the kingdom of God in the hearts and lives of people. And it's to that which we're called. So let me give you an example of this. Let's say for, uh, for the sake of, uh, of argument that I start, and I'm not doing this, this is a little bit of sarcasm, but I just say, I'm going to tell you how great I am, how perfect I am. I've got it all figured out. I tithe on everything I get. 10% of what comes to me, I give back to the local church. That's what the Bible teaches, is the biblical tithe, and that's what I do. I tithe, I give back to the church 10%. I eat right, I exercise, I count, I, I, I watch my intake, I pray every day for an hour and a half. I read the Bible every day for an hour and a half. I memorize it. I can quote the King James. I can, ver- I can quote the ESV. I can quote in Hebrew and Koine Greek. And my wife is just about as perfect as I am. I mean, she's a perfect homeschool mom. We always make time for each other. We never miss a date night. We never fight. We never argue. We pour everything we have into our kids. If somebody knocks on the door, we open our house to them. We're always hospitable. We don't turn anyone or anything away except the spiders that invade, those we squish. But I say, listen, I got it all figured out. I'm just about perfect, and I know you stink. So stop being so dumb and start being like me. How many of you would say, that's an example I'm going to follow? Or how many of you would start to look and analyze and try and find any way, shape, or form that my life doesn't stack up to what I claim? And by the way, if you look, I promise you, you'll find it. I'm not claiming all those things. If you look close enough in my life, you'll see times I wrestle with with materialism, greed, selfishness, pride, lust, arrogance, insecurity. There's times I wrestle and I say things I wish I hadn't said and do things I wish I hadn't done. What's the point? The point is Jesus is the only one who's perfect. So if I want to start pointing out everything that's wrong in you, you could start pointing everything that's wrong in me and we're never going to begin to point people to the love of God in Christ Jesus. So here's the amazing thing when it comes to Jesus. I don't know if you've thought about this, right? Jesus was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He was perfect. He was sinless. He did everything God the Father ever asked him to do, and he did it perfectly. And yet, somehow, in all that, Jesus drew to himself sinful people. A sinless Jesus was a magnet to sinful people. Jesus was perfect, and yet imperfect people were drawn to him. We're imperfect. Shouldn't we draw imperfect people to ourselves? We're imperfect, and we repulse imperfect people because we want to point out just how 
you're, you're more imperfect than I am. Jesus would have a party and sinners would flock to the party. I mean, they would just want to hang out with him. They wanted to be near him. There was a time when Jesus is, um, is talking to a woman and, and she um, was a prostitute. I mean, she was a sinner. She shows up and she's so captivated by his grace and his mercy that she takes this expensive jar of, of perfume of anointing oil and she pours it all over him. She didn't even understand what she was doing, but it was symbolic of, of anointing him, preparing him for his death on the cross, his burial, and his eventual resurrection. There's another time Jesus is hanging out and he sees a, a tax gatherer, and we've talked about tax gatherers, and he sees one and he has an interaction with him. He says, by the way, I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. And when Jesus shows up at his house for dinner, you know who's there? All the tax gatherer's friends, a house full of sinners. They just said, we want to be around this guy because he is different. Another time Jesus is standing at a well and he's talking to a woman who just went from man to man, bed to bed, relationship to relationship. And Jesus shouldn't have even been talking to her. And yet he stops, he engages her. He's kind, he's caring, he's compassionate. He shows her respect. And he says, now I want to offer you something, the only thing that will ultimately fill the deepest desire of your heart, that thing that is driving you from bed to bed, from man to man, I want to offer it to you, and it's called living water. Why is it, how is it that Jesus, who was sinless, could be so attractive to the sinful? What was it that Jesus did that drew imperfect people to a perfect God? Here it is. Jesus focused more on showing people love than telling them they were wrong. But a lot of us spend a lot of time telling other people just how wrong they are. We'll tell people they're wrong in, in even how they uh, repent. You're not contrite enough. I mean, yeah, I, I, you, you said you were sorry, but I don't believe you. Why? I mean, you could see into their heart and know they were sincere. I mean, I, I know you said you asked for forgiveness, but you didn't ask forgiveness in the right way. Why? Because they didn't have tears in their eyes and snot bubbles shooting out their nose. I mean, okay, they might not have an emotional display, but now we're saying you didn't, you didn't repent the right way. What we need to do when someone repents is look, as John Baptist said, look for the fruit of repentance, bear fruit of repentance, that they've changed, they're living different. But because you didn't see whatever you wanted to see or hear whatever you thought you needed to hear, that makes you the arbiter of right and wrong. You're not voting the right way. You're not supporting the right candidates. You're not picketing the right causes. You're not filling the blank. And we judge people all the time. We want to point people to how wrong they are instead of showing people the love of Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. So Jesus is dealing with, with all kinds of things. And so let me share a, a verse, probably the most important verse about how do we interact, treat other people in all the Bible. And, uh, and it's, it's right before Jesus is betrayed. He's having the last supper with his followers. He's done everything that God asked him to do. He knows, this is the context. He knows he's about to be handed over, crucified. He's gonna carry the weight of all of sin, of all eternity on himself. There's the spiritual dynamic that the perfect unbroken relationship he's always had with God his father will be broken. Not only that, there's the physical reality, the pain and the horror 
of being whipped and beaten and, and, and tortured and hung on an executioner's stake. The horror of crucifixion was clear in Jesus' eyes. He's sitting around, he's having a meal with his friends, they're having some deep conversations, and then one of his friends he knows is about to betray him. And he says, go and do what you have to do. And so Judas goes out and he betrays him. In the midst of all that, Jesus stops speaking. He gets up. He puts on a, an apron that a servant would wear. And he kneels down and washes his followers' feet. And they have no idea what's happening. They don't understand this at all. And that's the context in which Jesus speaks. So I want to start in, in John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That, that part of that verse right there, that sentence, he loved them to the end is one of my favorite in all the Bible. God, I want to love you to the end. I want to love those you've brought into my life and to the end. I want to be faithful to my spouse to the end. I want to be loving to my, my friends and my family and, and be consistent in my service to the church to the end. That's why Paul picks up on that and says, finish the race that's set before me. I don't want to start and be disqualified. I want to finish. I want to do this to the end. That ought to be the heart cry of everyone. Because as a Christian, it's never, never, never how you start. It's how you finish. Some of us struggle at the beginning and we, we end well. Say, I'm old. You're not dead. Finish strong. Some of us start bad and we're struggling. Okay. Don't look and say, uh, of all this mistakes in the past, finish strong. Jesus loved them to the end. Then after he washes their feet, he says this. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. This demonstration I just gave you, this is what it means to love. You're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, serve, sacrifice, love through giving of yourself. Jesus did something that only a servant should do, not a master, not a rabbi. He kneels down and washes their feet. And he says, this is what it means to love. It means to humble yourself. It means to say, I don't have it all figured out. It means to say, you know, there's a lot of things wrong in the world. And I can point out to all the wrongness, all the brokenness, all the filth that's out there, or I can get down on my knees and I can wash someone's feet of the external dirt and filth and then point them to the one who can heal them of the internal dirt and filth. Or I can just simply say, you're dirty. You're wrong. You're messed up. You're broken. Jesus says, get on your knees and serve. Humble yourself. That's why Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. He said, adopt the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, when you humble yourself, when you get down, when you serve people, when you love them through serving, all of a sudden, it begins to change your way of relating to people. See, walking in humility changes your posture. When you start dealing with your pride, when you say, God, take this pride from me. Help me to change. Help me to realize just how much I've been forgiven. All of a sudden, you don't feel morally superior. All of a sudden, you don't feel like I've got it all figured out and they should just do it my way because I've, I've got it all right. All of a sudden, you say, I embrace the reality that they're just wrong 
equals I can be just wrong. You embrace the fact that they equals me. And I'm just as wrong as everyone else. I didn't even want a relationship with God. He wanted one with me. I know we all think I chose God and you did, but he chose us first. He said, I want you. We didn't, we didn't figure anything out. So years ago, I I'm, I'm, was working at a job. It was, uh, I was not in a church. I was a pastor at the time, but I was working at a job. It wasn't at the church. Um, and, uh, and this wasn't a newsflash to me, but it may be a newsflash to some of you. Um, I knew this because I went to public school, went to public high school, rode the public bus. Uh, every bad thing I learned, I didn't learn in school, but a lot of it I did. Some of it I learned other places. Uh, then I worked at IBM for a number of years, and so, but, but it was just a fresh revelation that here I am working in a job that's outside the church, and I remembered that people act and talk outside of church a lot different than we act and talk inside church. Um, and, and so people would say all kinds of things, behave. I mean, I, I heard words that I hadn't heard in a long time. I heard phrases that I'd never heard. I'm like, man, that's an interesting take on that phrase. Um, they, they had colorful ways of expressing themselves. But over the course of time, as I worked there, and it was part-time, it wasn't a full-time gig, people would ask me, hey, what do you do outside of working here? And, and every time I would say, well, I'm a pastor. It, every time I'd get a reaction, something like this. Oh, um, well, I've been meaning to get back to church. Okay, I, I didn't ask. Or, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry for anything I said that may have offended you. And, you know, it's kind of a, a thing like that, except the store manager. He's, he never said either of those. I remember talking to him when I was getting ready to, to stop working there. And he said, yeah, I never said that because I didn't ever mean it. But I've always been impressed by the consistency of your life. I said, Tony, that's one of the greatest things you could ever say to me. Thank you. Um, uh, so... I remember one time, though, having that conversation with someone. They said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And they said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry for my language. I said, eh, it's not a big deal. And then they, they stopped, and they looked at me, and they said, no, you don't understand. I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. I said, it's fine. They said, no, I'm just going to screw up, screw everything up. And in that moment, I thought, what in the world is this guy carrying all this guilt, all this shame? Because he cursed, because he used language. And so I stopped what I was doing, and I, and I stood and looked at him eyeball to eyeball. I said, honestly, honestly it doesn't matter. I, I, I just want to tell you, I've used that language. I've used worse language than that, and I've done worse things than that. What I know is God in Christ has forgiven me. And what you need to know is God loves you because of who you are, not the language that you use. Now, I don't know what you think of that approach. You may be offended by it because I didn't point out to this guy all the ways that he was speaking in, in, in worldly language. But I know what God thinks of that expression of love. I know what God thinks when we extend grace and mercy. I know what God thinks when we're compassionate and we're kind because the Bible tells us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the wagging of the finger that says, oh, don't use that language in front of me. I'm offended. I've got a doctor of ministry degree. How could you? Degree's as good as the wallet's hanging on, and it's just down in my basement. I don't even know where it is. Um, it's not about that. It's about saying, 
I want to point people not to the wrongness of what they've done, but to the rightness of the one who can forgive their sins. That ought to be our heart. It's not about pointing out all the things that they've done wrong and I don't agree with and they, they should do better and they should do. How about just saying, let me kneel down and love you and serve you and point you to the God who loves you and he wants to forgive you and he wants a relationship with you. In other words, what you and I need to remember is this, that we don't need to be offended because they're wrong. We need to humble ourselves and show other people love. Humble yourself. Say, let me wash your feet. Let me serve you. Let me tell you about God. That's what we're called to do. Is it easy? No, listen, it is a lot easier to just point out every way in which someone is wrong. We can be Pharisees. We can live consecrated and conceited. We can live humble, justified, and holy. Humble in heart, just like the tax collector. God said, Jesus said, he's holy, he's justified, he's sanctified. Why? Because he's humbled himself. You walk in arrogance, you walk in conceit, you walk around telling people what they did wrong all the time, and eventually it's going to all fall apart around you. Because you can't live to the very standard which you've set for everyone else. No one can. It's why we need Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would move. As the man shared, this this is a challenging message. It pushes back on us. It pushes us a little bit. Because we can look out at everyone else and say they're just wrong. But are we? Is our heart posture wrong? Are we walking in pride, arrogance, conceit? God, if we are, help us, help us, help us to see just how much that we've been forgiven. That we can walk in humility. Do we need to stand for truth? Yes. But we can speak the truth in love. We can wash people's feet. We can serve them, love them, and yet not compromise. So I'm just going to ask you with your eyes closed and heads bowed, and I know some of you want to look around because you don't like to do what you're asked, but you know, this, this is a sacred moment. And if anyone would say, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with some pride. I, I've been that person who's right about everything. But maybe I've been wrong about a few things. Maybe there's been some pride and arrogance, conceit in my heart. Maybe I've looked down my nose and walked in spiritual pride because I thought I had it all figured out. I was the expert. I'm the professional. I've read. I've written. I've prayed. I've studied. Maybe we need a healthy dose of humility to remember all that we've been saved from. So if that's you this morning, just out of an act of just a a desire for God to do a work in your heart, would you just raise your hand and say, I want more humility, more grace, more kindness. 
more compassion, more mercy, more tenderness. I want to be willing to get up from the table and wash other people's feet. How will they know that we're Jesus followers? It's not because of who we voted for. It's not because of the stance we took. It's because we loved one another. We loved well within the church and outside the church. And we can't love well when we're full of pride and arrogance. So if you would say, I just, I need to deal with some of that, just raise your hand. Heavenly Father, for every hand that's raised, I just pray right now, would you move? Would your spirit move? God, would you do what we can't do, and that's eradicate pride from our hearts. All we can do is say, God, help me to be humble. Help me. Because you you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. You will lift us up. You will strengthen us. You will enable us in due time if we won't walk in pride and arrogance. God, help us to stop being offended because they're wrong and start loving them and pointing them to the one who's right. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship God uh, a few more songs. And I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come forward. They're going to be up on either side. If you'd like prayer this morning, maybe something we talked about, and it's just really kind of brought some conviction from the Holy Spirit. Let them pray with you. Let them pray for you. Maybe you've got something else going on in your life. You need God to move in a supernatural way. You need wisdom. You need insight. You need healing. You need deliverance. Just come let these folks pray with you. Let them pray for you. First service I was praying and I just felt that someone here in this service needs to hear this. You just, you wrestle with feeling alone. Like you're just always going to be alone. You just, you feel isolated, disconnected, like no, no one will ever get you. God just wants to, he wants to pour the fellowship of his Holy Spirit into your heart. So if that's something that you wrestle with, God, you don't have to be alone. He's got, he's got a relationship he wants with you, but he wants to bring other people into your life. Don't walk out of here feeling alone. Walk out of here feeling loved, encouraged, and supported.